Oh my goodness, it's a long one, Lil Onions. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Carrie Ann is upset today. I'll get over it. Yeah, you just you you wanted to do a podcast, not Ross's History Corner. <laughs> you wanted to do kicking and streaming with Carrie and Ross, not yeah. Ross's History Corner. Oh my god. But thanks for letting me uh, be the little Thank you for letting me play the usurper from time to time. <laughs> Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we're an insult to God and an unnatural noise. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 2012 historical drama from Steven Spielberg, Lincoln. Oh, Abe, what's up, queen? How are you doing? Absolutely not. Happy 4th of July week. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's, what is it, July 3rd today? I think. Well, it's Trump's birthday today. It's, it's June 14th. How dare you? I know. Let's remember the greatest American president on the day of the birth of the worst American president. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing those three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. You want everyone to come and join this little watch party, this little summertime watch party. And speaking of summertime watch parties, there's never been a better time to go check out the Patreon. She's right, guys. There actually has never been a better time to give us your money, see? Because for just $5 a month, you too can be a little onion contributor at the $5 level. Guys, we've got all of our bonus content over there for you. All of our television coverage, all of our long-form coverage. We did 50 bajillion episodes of HBO's John Adams and Netflix's The Haunting of Hill House. We covered every single episode. It's all waiting over there for you. We've got a year and some changes worth of content over there for you. And it's not no work, so go tell Carrie Ann how much you love her <laughs> by becoming a little onion at the five. And guys, if you want access to our full catalog of main feed goodness that's all 200 and whatever episodes of kicking and streaming main feed there are you go on over to our Podbean page there you can get a custom rss link and listen in any player of your choosing <laughs> in that wild though you've done like 250 episodes uh, yeah. counting outtakes and stuff like that but like you yeah know. no it, uh... <laughs> carrie ann is so dejected she's just gonna listen to me teach a class <laughs> For an hour here. <laughs> I will chime in. Don't you, don't any of you worry. I, I thought you were going to say, don't you very worry. <laughs> don't you very worry. <laughs> we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. That government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. We can't tell our people they can vote yes on abolishing slavery unless at the same time we can tell them that you're seeking a negotiated peace. It's either the amendment or this Confederate peace. You cannot have both. How many hundreds of thousands have died during your administration? Congress must never declare equal those whom God created unequal. Leave the Constitution alone. 
We are stepped out upon the world stage now, with the fate of human dignity in our hands. Blood's been spilled to afford us this moment now, now, now. Abraham Lincoln has asked us to work with him to accomplish the death of slavery. No one's ever been loved so much by the people. Don't waste that power. This fight is for the United States of America. Think we choose to be born, or we fit it to the times we're born into? Well, I don't know about myself. You may be. settles the fate for all coming time. Not only of the millions now in bondage, but of unborn millions to come. Shall we stop this bleeding? Guys, if you can glean anything from today's content selection title, you know that we are going to be talking about the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> who scholars have denoted the greatest president in U.S. history, Mr. Abraham Lincoln. God, the bar is so low. Mm. <laughs> Isn't it, though? <laughs> yeah. And we're going to be talking about January 1865 in today's coverage, the fight and battle for the passage and ratification of the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, eliminating the policy of slavery. Yes, Lincoln does tend to be this, you know, revered, you know, mythical figure in the American conscience. He's on all of the fucking money. You know, I honestly, if I were to do a, you know, a little sports bracket of U.S. presidents, I'd probably end up with Abe Lincoln in the middle. Like, <laughs> yeah, I probably would. Like, I mean, it's it's my thing. It's like President's Day. Who do we celebrate? George fucking Washington. And Lincoln. And Lincoln. Yeah. Like the, the slaveholder and the slave freer. Like, uh, I just, what is this? Are we supposed to celebrate the full circle? Is that what we're supposed to be grateful for? Yeah. Uh, uh. Eliminate the penny, by the way. Stop! Abe's been dead for long enough. I don't think he was going to feel too bad about getting rid of the penny. You know, it costs four and a half cents to make a penny. Yes, I do. What the fuck? (laughs) And most of them aren't even circulation. They just sit in people's houses or on the street. Anyway. I mean, he's still on the five. I don't know what the whole fuss is about. There's only so many things I can get rageful about in this. We have to continue. But yeah, guys, Steven Spielberg is our director this week. Oh, and he does such a good job, that Steven. Like I said, we've done the color purple. Haven't we done something else, Spielberg? Of course we have. Uh, Hook. Hook was Spielberg. Hook is Spielberg. Or at least Spielberg adjacent. You should honestly fire me for not remembering that. Wow. And the Goonies was Spielberg adjacent. That's right. He produced the Goonies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Guys, ugh. Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, Minority Report. We also did The War of the Worlds. I'm sorry. We did that for one of my birthday months. Yeah. Uh, Written by Tony Kushner. Uh, he, He is known for Angels in America. 
Yes. He wrote Angels in America, which earned a Pulitzer Prize and a Tony Award, and was adapted into the acclaimed HBO miniseries. Which we must cover eventually. Absolutely. It's based off of a book called Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin, the 2005 Pulitzer Prize winning biography of U.S. President Abraham Lincoln. Oh my goodness, Carrie. Yeah. And wouldn't you know it, a $215 million profit. <laughs> and guess who's here with us to do the score? <laughs> let me guess. John Williams! Yeah. Sorry, didn't let you guess, but <laughs> this is distributed by Disney? It is. It is. Or a property, or a company that's now owned by Disney, at least. I feel strange about that. <laughs> that I... Lincoln is a Disney princess? <laughs> ah, stop! <laughs> is Lincoln a part of the Disney verse now? <laughs> Is that how that works? We just retroactively add him in there. Oh boy. I you know what I have to do we've got names first before I do any front loading because guys when Carrie Ann and I were Carrie had never seen this until we watched it this time around. And every time some new actor popped up, her head fell off. She was like, oh my God! And him! And him! And him! <laughs> No, yeah, we've got a lot of main players, but all of the people who have 20 lines or less, I swear to God, they're all recognizable. Uh, uh, Steven Spielberg called Dick Wolf and said, listen. <laughs> I need everybody you've ever had on a Law & Order series. Because I couldn't believe how many men I was pointing to and going, seen that guy on SVU, seen that guy on Original Recipe, seen that guy on Criminal Intent or whatever. So folks, you might have guessed it, but we've got names and I'm going to run through these as quickly as possible because we've got a lot of a figures and a lot of big name actors in this movie. It's the as possible that's doing the most heavy lifting in that statement. <sighs> Shut up. As 16th U.S. President Abraham Lincoln, we have Daniel Day Lewis. I believe in his first kicking and streaming appearance. Yeah, because we have not done The Crucible yet. No, and of course, you know, that's Crucible 1996 with an Anona Ryder and Daniel Day-Lewis. He's John Proctor, everybody. Uh, you also know him from My Left Foot and the Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> yup. I don't have time. Phantom, yeah. Phantom Thread, Age of Innocence, The Boxer, you know Daniel Day-Lewis. He's married to Arthur Miller's daughter. That is so, wow. Rebecca Day-Lewis. Oh, wow. <laughs> or Rebecca Miller, however you want to put it. As First Lady of the United States, Mary Todd Lincoln, please welcome her back to Kicking and Streaming. We have the stupefying Sally Field. This is like her third time this year. She was with, yeah, she's been with us a lot this year. She was with us, well, first of all, she was with us when we did Mrs. Doubtfire way mm -hmm. back when, because she's Miranda Hillard and who else could be. Um, she was with <laughs> us when we did... Um, Steel Magnolia. Steel Magnolia. She's Am Amlan. Yeah. Amlan Eatonton, or whatever her name is. And then she was also with us when we covered Forrest Gump, yes. like right after that. Because <laughs> she's Mrs. Gump and Forrest Gump. And now she's Mrs. Lincoln. And now she's Mrs. Lincoln. Yeah, no. <laughs> we love her. We love Sally Field. We will cover Sybil one day. One day. Portraying Robert Todd Lincoln, the only Lincoln child that made it to adulthood. I'm sorry that I giggled slightly when I said that. <laughs> Aww. Robert Todd Lincoln would also go on to be our ambassador to the United Kingdom and Secretary of War under James A. Garfield and Chester A. Arthur. But he is portrayed by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and I believe his first kicking and streaming appearance, Angels in the Outfield. Yeah. That is immediately where my brain goes. <laughs> also, the movie where he's addicted to porn. What's that called? I don't remember. 50, no. Not 50 First Dates. No, he was in that third Rock from the Sun shit. 
uh, portraying um, Mrs. Keckley, Elizabeth Keckley, mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Lincoln's attendant. We have Gloria Rubin. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll know her from ER. Uh, yeah. She's Jeannie Boulay from ER. And she also played an ADA on Law and Order SVU for uh, a time. Right. You'll just get all the you'll get all the <laughs> you'll get all the Law and Order mentions in there. I'm sure. Uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson plays uh, Lincoln's valet, William Slade. Um, we have Elizabeth Marvel and Billy Camp as Mr. and Mrs. Jolly. We've got Adam Driver as Samuel Beckwith, a telegraph operator at the U.S. Department of War. I can't believe how many times Adam Driver has come up in a weird context over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Adam Driver was literally with us three weeks ago. Like in Edgar. In J. Edgar, yeah. And this was, this was his, these were his two baby films. Yeah. Where, you know, J. Edgar and Lincoln. <laughs> He's also been on SVU. We've got Jared Harris as Lieutenant General Ulysses S. Grant. What the fuck? The casting director went to <laughs> sleep that day, guys. <laughs> Jared Harris was also on SVU. Do not get us wrong. Jared Harris is a fave actor. Oh, yeah. He's Lane Price from Mad Men. We love Jared Harris. But he's also a bad guy in one of them Sherlock movies. Oh, no, he's more Moriarty! Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock movies. But, like, you know, Ulysses S. Grant. No, yeah. We can hear you, Jared. Like, <laughs> he did not belong in this movie. We love him to death, but why is he here? Please welcome to Kicking and Streaming as Secretary of State William H. Seward. We have David Strathern. Uh, you'll know him from Good Night and Good Luck. Yes! Uh, the movie about Edward R. Murrow. Edward R. Murrow, for whom our lovely little microphone is named. Yes! Uh, oh my goodness. He's portrayed a lot of historical figures, by the way. He's done Oppenheimer. He did Edward R. Murrow. He did John DePasso's, like, David. <laughs> no, he was also on that show. Oh, I can't even remember. Oh, it was a Heroes ripoff. It was called uh, Alphas. Uh-huh. That's a good show. He's also in them Bourne movies. Yep. Yeah. And uh, he was also in The Uninvited. He's been with us before, actually. Wait, no. So maybe not his first kicking and streaming appearance. He was with us in A League of Their Own. That's right. Which was a while ago. As Secretary of State Edwin M. Stanton, we've got Bruce McGill. <laughs> You'll know him because he's Sheriff Dean Farley in My Cousin Vinny. Our very first kicking and streaming coverage. Indeed, indeed. We've got uh, Joseph Cross as Major John Hay, Lincoln's military secretary. Jeremy Strong as John Nicolay, Lincoln's private secretary. Granger Hines, Richard Topol, Dakin Matthews, Walt Smith, and James Eichling make up the rest of Lincoln's cabinet. As radical Republican congressional leader Thaddeus Stevens of Pennsylvania, we have Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, man. In his first kicking and streaming appearance? I think so. I think he might be. Well, he'll be back with us later this year. So <laughs> Yeah, he will. 2023 is coming up all Tommy Lee Jones. Guys, he's Clay Shaw from JFK. You'll see why I'm happy about that later this year. <laughs> Men in Black. He's Agent K, guys. One like... of my favorite roles of his. Oh, also, also, also one of my favorite roles Mm-mm. is his role as Two-Face in Batman Forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coal Miner's Daughter, Natural Born Killer. No Country for Old Men. He's in them borns. <laughs> Not more born actors. Not Captain America. Moving on. All right. <laughs> As Democratic Congressman fuck Fernando Wood of New York, we have Lee Pace. <laughs> he's King Fragile from the Horrible Hobbit trilogy. <laughs> oh, and he's from the FCU! <laughs> he's Ronan the Accuser. Oh. Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. And Captain Marvel. Hey, Lee. You're so hot out of makeup. <laughs> As Democratic Congressman fuck George H. Pendleton of Ohio, we have Peter McRobbie. He was just with us 
in Brokeback Mountain. Really? I don't remember that. Was he Jake Gyllenhaal's dad? Yes. Wow, really? Yes, he's the dad. He's the creepy dad, yep. He was also a judge on SVU. <laughs> Miss Novak, you're reaching. We've got David Constable as James Ashley. Um, we've got Michael Stahlbarg as George Yeaman, Boris McGiver of House of Cards not- Notoriety. He was also <laughs> with us when we covered John Adams. As uh, Alexander Kofroth, we've got Walton Goggins as Clay Hawkins. Carrie Ann loves Walton Goggins in... Um, uh, the Righteous Gemstones. <laughs> yep. Hal Holbrook as Francis <laughs> Preston Blair, the founder of the Republican Party of the United States. We know Hal Holbrook. We know Hal Holbrook, don't we? do. We? He's from Cats Don't Dance. Yeah. He's <laughs> Cranston the Goat. He's Cranston the Goat. <laughs> he's also very notable for portraying Abraham Lincoln in the 1973 miniseries North and South. That's funny. He's Albie Duncan from the West Wing, <laughs> the Assistant Secretary of State. You lost your submarine in the wrong part of the world there, Mr. President. <laughs> and Jed is banging his head on the table because he hates <laughs> Albie Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> James Spader as Republican Party operative William N. Bilbo. I, uh... I will not be blackmailed by some ineffectual, privileged, effete, soft penis debutante. You want to start a street fight with me, bring it on. But you're going to be surprised by how ugly it gets. You don't even know my real name. I'm the f- Lizard King. Tim Blake Nelson is lobbyist Richard Shell. I know Tim Blake Nelson. He's been with us on the show before. He was with us when we did Holes. Yeah, he's Mr. Pandansky. He's Mr. Pandansky, yes. (laughs) He's also Dr. Jonathan Jacobo from Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. (laughs) Just want to say. John Hawks as Robert Latham. He's another operative that go with Bilbo and uh, Shell. He's actually been with us before. He was with us when we did Contagion. Oh, no. He's the janitor guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's the janitor guy with the kid who's got ADHD. That was a lot of people and a lot of men that we will now have to talk about. Carrie. Yeah? Thank you. You're welcome. I'm just thanking you in advance. Because <laughs> we have a lot to unpack here. Oh, here we go. All right. Who's ready for Ross's History Corner? Some front-loading here, folks. Oh, boy. Re- remember when you were a Little Onion contributor at the $5 level and you listened to all 500 minutes of coverage of John Adams. <laughs> Remember that? Remember when you learned about the birth of our nation? Well, that all ends around mm, 1825, 1826, right? So how about I take it from there, huh? Oh, my God. Is that okay with you? I have no other choice. Because remember, when federalism was over in 1801, Thomas Jefferson and the Democratic-Republican Party, they had total rule of the federal government for 25 years. And then in the election of 1824 and through 1825, 1826, the Democratic-Republican Party begins to have this schism, if you will. You get Nationalist Republicans and the Whig Party and the Masonic Party and all these different off-branches of Thomas Jefferson's party. And basically... You know, through the 1830s, through Andrew Jackson, through the 1840s, expanding West, and through the 1850s, the hot debate was abolition. Are we going to abolish slavery in the 19th century or not? By, you know, the 1850s, there were 4 million enslaved Africans in the United States, fueling the South's plantation economy. And that's really what the South had to offer, was agriculture. And it was all perpetrated by the wealthy aristocracy enslaving people for their labor. Obviously, in the North, slavery wasn't an institution, but don't 
pretend like racism wasn't an institution in the North, you know? Uh, there are a lot of big events that led up to the breakout of the Civil War. Most notably is the election of 1860 with Abraham Lincoln. James Buchanan was the 15th president of the United States, and he was probably one of the most qualified men to ever be president. And yet he is ranked the worst American president of all time. He was 1857 to 1861. Just got one term. He was a Democrat. He was from Pennsylvania. And he basically was like, slavery? Slavery who? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, but it was such a, you know, you've heard about John Brown and the raid on Harper's Ferry and the Kansas-Nebraska Act over whether we should have slavery in the territories, you know, all these different compromises. And, you know, by 1860, the South was ready to boil over over the issue of, air quote, states' rights, the federal government's arm reaching too far into their pockets and into their lives. They felt as though the federal government was becoming dictatorial and dictating the question of whether or not they could own property. You know, the property here being human beings. Yeah. Let us not forget that the U.S. Constitution in this time counts uh, non-white people as three-fifths people. Not the compromise. Yeah, yeah, no. It's bad, isn't it? It's awful. So... The election of Abraham Lincoln in 1860 scared the South to death. They knew the federal government would soon be coming for their, air quote, property, their means of labor, which I'm sorry, that's so lazy of you, American South. Just, I want to, I want to get that Paris Hilton shirt that's like, stop being poor or like, (laughs) get a job, you know, like (laughs) to the slaveholders. That white comic or that white Irish comic who's like, I'm meant to have the white guilt. I don't have any white guilt. Like in Ireland, we had potatoes in the ground. We picked them ourselves. (laughs) We never went to like another continent, stole all their people and made them pick the potatoes. That That would be crazy. Who would do that? Oh, Carrie. Yeah? Let's dive in, shall we? Uh, Don't sound so excited. This is from a particularly reprehensible period of human history. One more thing I will say before we start. Okay. Don't ever let anyone tell you that the Civil War was not about slavery. It's literally in the Confederate Declaration of Independence. Yeah. It's literally in the Confederate Constitution. It's in the preamble of the Confederate Constitution. It was about slavery, guys. And yes, also, air quote, states' rights. But if the states want rights to own people, then sorry, it's not much of a, <laughs> it's not much of a debate, you know? You're not seeing the forest through the trees here. Yeah, no. We're also talking about a time in history where whiteness was the only move and quite literally everything else was immaterial. Uh, Not that it isn't like that today. It's just severely less so. uh, All right. I love John Williams. Oh, no. Those horns, man. They just, mm, they do something to me. We get some on-screen text. From its earliest days, the American experiment in democracy was threatened by internal division over the question of human slavery. Could a people's government cohere half slave and half free? As each attempt at compromise failed, antagonism between the slave South and the free North grew increasingly violent until 11 states seceded from the Union. And the war came. The beginning of this movie is up 
setting. It's very, and the wind swept through Georgia. Oh, you know, like, no. From Gone with the Wind, yeah. like No, guys, we are in the middle of a bloody, muddy battle. We don't know which American Civil War battle we're looking at here. I don't know. The energy, it's giving Gettysburg. Well, I mean, I don't know if it was Gettysburg. Though. They don't specify. They don't. It's just, I think it's just to solidify the whole brutality of brother against brother and all that nonsense. Brother against brother, my ass. No, more like uh, Americans against traitors. Yeah, literally. Fuck <sighs> those dirty rebels. Uh, no, no. From here on out, we will in no capacity be referring to them as rebels. They were traitors. Yeah, they were. Ma- calling them rebels makes them sound cool. And they are not, you know, this is not Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? Let's, let's not. They're traitors. We're at a military encampment with Private Harold Green and Corporal Ira Clark. And we're speaking with President Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln liked to go to the encampment sometimes. He yeah. liked to talk to the men he was sending to die, uh... you know, in his name, you know. And they're all preparing to go off to fight in the Wilmington campaign. That's Wilmington, North Carolina. It was one of the last vulnerable open ports in the Confederacy. They thought if they could bring down Wilmington, they'd cut off the last amounts of commerce they could have, and therefore they would be able to take the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia. The ones of us that didn't die that day, we joined up with the 116th U.S. Colors, sir, from Camp Nelson, Kentucky. What's your name, soldier? Private. Harold Green, sir. I'm Corporal Ira Clark, sir. 5th Massachusetts Cavalry. This is the beginning of the lighting in this movie bothering me. Is that so? Because there's always random beams of light coming from nonsensical locations at a time before electricity was ubiquitous. Can you maybe just leave Steven Spielberg alone? (laughs) No, because it's distracting. (laughs) Especially in this first scene when we are outside. At night. At night. In the rain. Abe Lincoln has (laughs) like a god light shining down on him. You want to talk about Daniel Day-Lewis in this getup for a second? Isn't it a little scurry? It's a little scurry. And like apparently there was this thing about how it's like this Jim Carrey complex that he took on with this. Like, he stayed in character oh, no. for, like, three months. How annoying. And, like, it was. Eventually, <laughs> people people on set had to be like, hey, can you just, like, talk to me, please? Like, <laughs> I know you're not Abraham Lincoln, but you're really tripping me up here. <laughs> and I think his performance is really great in that I think he won. I think he won the Oscar for this. I can't remember. I think he might have. Anyway, I uh, I know this movie got nominated for hella Oscars, but like it's just Daniel Day-Lewis, I feel like really captures the folksy cadence that I would like to believe that Abraham Lincoln spoke with. Yeah, that's why I don't put too much stock into people going about these movies, types of movies in particular, where like, oh, he really nailed him. And I'm like... Guys, Abraham Lincoln was dead long before our grandparents were even born. Yeah. Like, come on. Private Harold Green is from the South, right? So he's like, you know, very formal with him and like, but like Corporal Clark, he's from Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. You know, you can tell between their two accents, the more willing to get in Lincoln's face about issues that African-American men are still suffering even though they've been drafted into military service. Yep. Because that was something no one had ever seen before. Black men fighting in the U.S. Army. Yeah. And these are two black men here talking to President Lincoln. Now that white people have accustomed themselves to seeing Negro men with guns fighting on their behalf, and now that they can tolerate Negro soldiers getting equal pay, maybe in a few years they can abide the idea of Negro lieutenants and captains. In 50 years... Maybe a Negro colonel. In a hundred years, 
the vote. And, you know, Lincoln is thankfully treating them like he would treat any other soldier. And they're they're getting to know each other a little bit. And then those two white boys come running up. Oh, the difference in these two conversations is hysterical because obviously the black men are trying to get something accomplished. And these white boys are just here to fangirl. The two white boys talking about the Gettysburg Address and how it's the greatest thing they've ever heard in their lives. Uh. And their, their male family members have, you know, fallen at Gettysburg and they're trying to recite it to him. And Lincoln's like, why don't you go back over there? <laughs> yeah. Like, they can't remember the ending lines of it. And then the company's starting to move out, and they're like, you bet, you bet, you, you two boys best go join your company. And then Private Green walks away, but then Corporal Clark stays behind for a second. And I love that John Williams piano. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Recites it right back to him. I love it. It's a great little, I love the shot of him right before it fades to black. Ugh. It's great cinematography in this movie as well. It is. I just wish the... <sighs> yeah, I know. Let's keep going. <laughs> On screen text for us. January 1865. Two months have passed since Abraham Lincoln's re-election. The American Civil War is now in its fourth year. So we're at the White House, and Lincoln is telling his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, about this dream that he's been having, where he is on this ship that's going a million miles an hour towards this distant shore with a very faint light in the horizon. Oh, no. And he's like, oh, forgive me my groanings and croakings. I shouldn't be troubling you with this. She's like, well, I won't be spared if you won't. She was so devoted to Lincoln. Yeah. She loved him so much. But listen, Mary's got this dream, like, figured out, right? She might as well be Joseph. Like, <laughs> it's not Wilmington Port. It's not a military campaign. It's the amendment to abolish slavery. Why else would you force me to invite demented radicals into my home? You're going to try to get the amendment passed in the House of Representatives before the term ends? Before the inauguration? Don't spend too much money on the flub-dubs. She's like, listen, you're literally like an American god at this point. Oh, no. Like, you will be written about, it will be American gospel, the words that are written about you. She says, she tells him, don't waste the valuable power you have on an amendment that's sure of defeat. Okay, Mary Todd Lincoln, who has six brothers in the Confederate Army. Like, uh, yeah, she's from Kentucky. Like, I'm sorry, guys. White people in the Union didn't really care about slavery either. Like, they just wanted peace. They just wanted the war to be fucking over. And they didn't care. Like, and this is reflected in what she's telling him now. Like, you're going to waste valuable political capital and your image trying to get this 13th Amendment passed. But, Mary, it's what's right. Yeah, I know. I know. This is, I'm going to try not to scream myself hoarse during this coverage but I feel like I have to because I feel like nobody is listening or understands the sequence with the band and the flag dedication where he pulls the speech out of the hat <laughs> I loved that and when he's done he, he's done reading his speech he plops it back in his hat and goes that's my speech <laughs> and everyone starts laughing and I'm like I like a good leader like this who can keep a rapport with the people 
What else is in the hat, Abe? <laughs> what are you, Mary Poppins with this shit? <laughs> there we get to meet William Seward, the Secretary of State, right? Because we're back in the White House. Yeah. And Seward is telling Lincoln that the 13th Amendment is going to be the most uphill climb you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and <laughs> all that is standing between them and ratification is 20 votes in the U.S. House of Representatives because the 13th Amendment at this point has actually passed in the Senate already. Yeah, but we got to get it past the pesky house. Yeah, we got to get it past that pesky lower house. The people's house, if you will. Oh, brother. We'll win the war soon. It's inevitable, isn't it? Well, it ain't won yet. You'll begin your second term with semi-divine stature. Imagine the possibilities peace will bring. Why tarnish your invaluable luster with a battle in the house? It's a rat's nest in there. It's the same gang of talentless hicks and hacks who rejected the amendment 10 months ago will lose. I like our chances now. Lincoln's like, you know, I like our chances now. I can feel it in my bones. I think the time is now. And everybody's like, (laughs) they're all clutching their slightly racist pearls like, you want to enfranchise black people? No, yeah, it's just, it's going to be an inevitability from the outcome of the passing of that amendment. Like, it's just, it's going to be the first step in a lot of steps towards that. And the white people can't handle it. And Seward's like, let's look at the cons list. Let's look at all these obstacles. <laughs> the, way, the way that Seward is at an 11 throughout this entire movie. Yeah, no, he's like, we need a two-thirds majority to pass this amendment. That's a lofty goal already. And then you, your own party, the Republicans, which, by the way, guys, the Republicans were the good guys in these days. Yeah. I hate to say it, but, you know, from, you know, slavery on to the Great Depression, the Republicans were the good guys. Yeah. And then something flipped in FDR. I don't know. Anyway, I don't have time. And so, you know, he's got a conservative faction of Republicans that just want peace. You know, they don't really care about the 13th Amendment, whereas the radical Republicans are all about enfranchisement, equality, and civil liberties now for all black people. Abolition. Yeah, the abolitionists, absolutely. And, you know, they're in his office, and he's talking about how, you know, Lincoln wants to pad the 64 lame duck Democrats for this session. Do you understand the significance of lame duck? I was going to ask you to explain it. (laughs) Okay. Because I remember it from social studies, but I want you to re-explain it. Okay, so the term of Congress is March 4th to March 4th over two years, right? Fine. Let's say you had an election in November and you were a sitting member already. You were you were running for re-election. Let's say. You didn't get re-elected. But you have to serve out your term as a U.S. representative until March 4th. So does that make me a lame duck? You are a lame duck, which means <laughs> you can pretty much do whatever, whatever you want yeah. because you're not coming back anyway. And there are 64 Democrats that lost their seats. They're all going to Republicans next session. So that's another reason why people think he's crazy for wanting to do this. Why not just wait for the new Congress? Ah, uh, well. You're going to have 64 more Republicans. All right. And But, like, he's saying what we're going to do with these lame duck Democrats is we're going to offer them jobs in yeah. exchange for voting for the amendment. And Seward's Sounds like, like a bribe to me. Yeah, Seward's like, we can't buy the <laughs> amendment. It's too important. They don't need to worry about re-election. They can vote however it suits them. But we can't uh, buy the vote for the amendment. It's too important. I said nothing of buying anything. We need 20 votes was all I said. Started my second term, plenty of positions to fill. And guys, this was the day where you can just... 
there were public days at the White House. Yeah, like Big Block of Cheese Day. Whereas in, they opened the door, <laughs> you went inside and stood in a line and waited to meet with the president yeah. to talk about whatever you wanted to talk about. These two bumpkins from Jefferson City, Missouri. The Jollies. <laughs> they traveled <laughs> two months yeah. to get to Washington, D.C., all the way from Missouri. This is a chance to gauge public support, you know, from these two yahoos from Missouri. <laughs> Seward is going to use this as an opportunity to prove to Abe that nobody actually cares about the 13th Amendment. They just want this war to end. You know, Seward says to Mrs. Jolly, what if the war ended before the 13th Amendment were passed? <laughs> Would you still want your congressman to vote for it? De <laughs> dead behind the eyes. And Mrs. Jolly is like... If that was how it was, no more war and all. I reckon Mr. Jolly much prefer not to have Congress pass the amendment. Hmm. And, uh, why is that? Niggers. If he don't have to let some Alabama coon come up to Missouri, steal his chickens and his job, he'd much prefer that. Oh! No! Not pass the amendment? Why is that? Okay, like, <laughs> Seward walks up to Lincoln. The people. <laughs> uh, he's like, this is what you're dealing with. <laughs> Lincoln shakes their hands and says, you tell Bean Paul Burton that you support passage of the amendment as a military measure. How about that? You know, Seward says he's got people back home in his state of New York that could probably be influential in canvassing these 20 votes that they need from Democrats. This is where we're going to need to also court the support of the Blair family. Not Preston Blair. The founder of the modern grand old party, the Republican Party. I'll do a pretty good Hal Holbrook impression. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> also, the way that Lincoln takes Tad with him everywhere. Yeah, I know. This child is just always sitting in on meetings like strategizing about the future of the country. Lincoln's business partner used to get mad as fuck at him because he would always bring his kids to work. <laughs> He's like, I don't know how to politely tell him this is not a place for children, but... He lives here! He just loves being around him, you know? What do you want me to tell him? He lives here! Preston Blair is whack and old, and, you know, they live at Blair House, which is just across the street from the White House. It still exists today. It's the official guest house of the White House now. Oh, well, Trey Gallant. Yeah, I know. If Blair supports the amendment... All Republicans will, is the logic behind this. Yeah. Now, your daddy knows that what I want in return for all the help I give him is to go down to Richmond like he said I could as soon as Savannah fell and talk to Jefferson Davis. Now, give me terms I can offer to Jefferson Davis to start negotiating for peace. He'll talk to me. Conservative members of your party want you to listen to overtures from Richmond. The conservative faction of the GOP want peace more than anything. That's why Preston Blair wants to go talk to Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederate States, and see if we can talk about having peace negotiations. So they send his wrinkly ass to Richmond. <laughs> All right, cabinet meeting. <laughs> oh, Lord. We'll commence our assault on Wilmington from the sea. Why is this burnt? Was the boy playing with it? He got took by a breeze several nights back. This is an official War Department map. And the entire cabinet's waiting to hear what it portends. A bombardment from the largest fleet 
the Navy has ever assembled. This is an official War Department map. <laughs> Stanton is always over Lincoln he's, and probably regrets ever taking the job, you know? He's me in this movie. He's got a war to win. Like, <laughs> like I'm always over Lincoln and uh, just God. I... <laughs> Secretary of the Interior, um... Usher, I think is his name, is like, hey, I've heard some whack rumors about a 13th Amendment being perpetrated onto the House floor for debate. Tell me you're not going to do this. That, that's what the first like half hour of this movie is, is everyone telling Lincoln not to do the 13th Amendment because of this reason, X, Y, Z. And the main reason is the Emancipation Proclamation. I'm going to try my best to break the jargon of this scene down for you guys as quickly as possible. Because this scene goes on too long. It just goes on and on. Anyway. Emancipation Proclamation, 1863. Lincoln issues it as a war measure because technically the Emancipation Proclamation frees no one. <laughs> oh, no. Because where are all the slaves? In the South. Is the South a part of America anymore? Not anymore. So is the Emancipation Proclamation going to be recognized in the South? Absolutely not. Exactly. So now it comes down to a question of whether or not they are property. Yes, exactly. Because I think he says something to the effect of like, you know, if we beat them in war, we can reclaim their quote, property yeah, no. for our nation. Uh, the, the Constitution gives the president powers to seize property in times of war. And so if they're con if these slaves are considered property, then he feels like he has every right to seize them via the Emancipation Proclamation. Seize them into freedom, that is. Yeah. But, you know, how can he do that without canceling the idea that we are a confederation of many states and not one nation? Also, the complete antithesis of... I acknowledge that these people are not slaves or property. They are free people or should be free people, but also under the laws of the Constitution, I'm going to seize them as property. Exactly. No, the, the, like I try to think about it as a lawyer. I'm like, that's completely contradictory. The Emancipation Proclamation conundrum is a twisted pretzel nugget from which your brain cannot return. Yeah. Like legally, that is. It's because slavery never made any actual sense. Exactly. We should never have owned people. That's just literally fucking disgusting and foul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, that's why I'd like to get the 13th Amendment through the House and on its way to ratification by the states, wrap the whole slavery thing up forever and I as soon as I'm able now, end of this month. And I'd like you to stand behind me like my cabinet's most always done. He basically is like, listen, I'd like you all to stand behind me on this 13th Amendment shit. Because, I don't know, you're my cabinet, and I gave you all these jobs, so <laughs> maybe you should do the things I want done. He says, listen, I signed the Emancipation Proclamation a year and a half before my re-election. I gave the people a year and a half to think about whether it was right, and they re-elected me. Yeah. And come February 1st, I want to fucking sign the 13th Amendment, okay? <laughs> so, Lincoln and Seward summon the amendment's sponsor, James Ashley, who is from Ohio. Wait, I can't remember what you said this actor's name was, but I really love him because he's Gale from Breaking Bad. Like, Oh, is he? And that's all I can see when I watch this movie. Uh, David Constable? Yeah. Constable? Con I don't know. <laughs> Constable. I don't know. But they summon him and they're like, listen, hey, bud, we know this is sudden, but we're going to need you to go ahead and put that amendment on the floor for debate. <laughs> And Ashley's like, whoa, we are not anywhere ready to put this on the floor for debate. Well, Mr. Representative Ashley, tell us the news from the Hill. Ah, well, the news. Why, for instance, is this thus 
And what is the reason for this thusness? James, we want you to bring the anti-slavery amendment to the floor for debate. Excuse me, immediately. Well, you are the amendment's manager, are you not? I am, of course, but... And we're counting on robust radical support, so tell Mr. Stevens we expect him to put his back into it. It's not going to be easy, but we it's trust... It's impossible. Him. Why don't we just wait for the new Congress? Yeah, no. We've got 64 Republicans coming in the next Congress. Can't we just do that? Is there a real concern that the Union will not outlast the Confederacy until that time? Well, anything could happen. They have until March. That's three months. A lot can happen in war in three months. Exactly. All right, okay, so I kind of get it. And Lincoln, I like our chances now. (laughs) He's a real smooth talker, that Lincoln. (laughs) Stop it. And, you know, with the introduction of Ashley, we meet the radical faction of the Republican Party. Sorry, are you talking about my favorite character? Thaddeus Stevens of Pennsylvania, the leader of the radical Republican movement? TLJ himself? Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones is... (laughs) This might be my favorite Tommy Lee Jones. He's got so many... Ross, Thaddeus Stevens, at least in this movie, was a savage. Like, the radical Republicans are always mad at Abraham Lincoln for dragging his fucking feet over the slavery issue. Because he's playing the game and dancing the dance and not doing enough radical shit quickly. You know, that Republican senator, um, Blaine, is like, listen, why should we fucking listen to him right now? We should withdraw our support. He takes forever to do anything. Why should we trust him now? Uh, exactly. And Stevens to everyone is like, Never trusted the president, never trusted anyone. But hasn't he surprised you? No, Mr. Stevens, he hasn't. <sighs> nothing surprises you, Asa. Therefore, nothing about you is surprising. Perhaps that is why your constituents did not re-elect you to the coming term. <laughs> that I love you already. Like... No, he is one of my favorites in what I call this white parade of pontification. <laughs> the radicals are like, listen, Thad, buddy, our leader, why on earth would you even entertain listening to Lincoln? He said he'd welcome back the South with all its slaves and chains. He did say that, by the way. Uh... It was a lie. It was mostly to calm down the border states and be like, hey, you can come back. It's fine. Oh, fuck them. You know, because all Lincoln cared about was preserving the Union. That's another thing. Secretary of State, Seward, he has hired these three operatives, uh, sympathetic to the Republican Party. They're lobbyists. It's William N. Bilbo, Richard Schell, and Robert Latham. (laughs) I am going to be referring to them as BSL. Oh, BSL. Bilbo, Shell, and Latham. Gotcha. (laughs) They're funny. I like these three little characters. It's James Spader, Tim Blake Nelson, and the janitor from Contagion. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry I didn't remember your actor. John Hawks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're, they're seriously ready to whip some votes for this amendment, right? Yeah. I have explained to Mr. Bilbo and Mr. Latham that we're offering patronage jobs to the Dems who vote yes. Jobs. And nothing more. That's correct. Congressman, come cheap. A few thousand bucks will buy you all you need. The president would be unhappy to hear you did that. <laughs> well, will he be unhappy if we lose? The House debate begins. Oh, no. January 9th. We have fucking Fernando Wood of the state of New York up to start. I have God. Why does he have to be hot? Yeah, Lee Pace. What's up? <laughs> oh, no. He's hot. Oh, no. He's hot. <laughs> like, I don't even have. Can you just let them listen to him for a second? Oh, no. Yeah. Like, I don't even want to repeat it. We are once again asked 
Nay, commanded to consider a proposed 13th Amendment. Which, if passed, shall set at immediate liberty four million coloreds while manacling the limbs of the white race in America. If it is passed, but it shall not pass. We shall oppose this amendment and any legislation that so affronts natural law, insulting to God as to man. Congress must never declare equal those whom God created unequal. When Lee Pace gets in Stevens's face and is like, radical republicanism's abolitionist fanaticism, I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, that was a mouthful. Like, you gotta be really evil for that mouthful. Like, like just the way he's trying to make Lincoln look like the worst tyrant in history. Yeah, I know. He literally just wants people to be free from tyranny. Like, I, I can't even... I, I, Ah! And BSL is literally in the gallery, listening to all of it, canvassing people. And they're, they're like, like looking at everybody's facial expressions and like taking their social temperature. And they're like, that one guy is like, if he doesn't quit playing with that watch, it's going to break. Because <laughs> he's all nervous because everybody's assholes puckered because we're talking about slavery. Talk about Thaddeus in this scene. So, you know. Wood gets in Thaddeus Stevens' face and goes, Congress must never declare equal those whom God created unequal. Oh, no, 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 and no. That is so anti-American, I can't stand it. What does it literally say in the Declaration of Independence? We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. Like, how he can even call himself an American, I don't get. Slavery is the only insult to natural law. You <laughs> fatuous nincompoop. Stevens has the best lines. He does. And the best reads of all of them. And Wood's little lackey, George Pendleton from Ohio, gets up and is like, what is unnatural in your opinion, Stevens? This is, I think, my favorite line in the movie from Stevens. What violates natural law? Slavery. And you, Pendleton, you insult God. You unnatural noise. <laughs> Best line. Mic drop, pen drop. Thank you. Thank you, Kushner. Like, that was just great. Guess who's home? It's Robert. Exactly. The Lincolns are preparing for this big shindig, which they refer to as a shindy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're going to host members of Congress in the White House to, you know, kind of generate some support, you know, legislatively. And Robbie has come home for the reception. He is at Harvard. He's in, their eldest child. In Massachusetts, yes. And, you know, he's home and he's super cute. That's all I'm saying. Because <laughs> it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. And Mary spots Robbie and is like, he's here. He's here. I don't like the energy that she has with her children. Why? And I understand. You're like, I know that you're like very... Lay off Mary Todd Lincoln at me right now. Yeah. But, like, I She's get it. She's been through a lot. She's surrounded by death her whole life. She lost her first, you know, she lost her second child, then she lost her third. You know, like, it's awful. Yeah. I get it. Lay off Mary. But it's the nervous way she's clinging on to him. I know. And, like, Mary loves her oldest, who survived. And, you know, Robbie says he might not go back to school. And that makes her a little <laughs> nervous. She shuts him up immediately. And she's like, you forget to eat. Exactly like him. No. You'll linger a few days extra after the reception before you go back to school. Well, I don't know if I'm going to go back to school. We'll fatten you up before you return to Boston. All right. Huh? All right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
asked, what was one of the most common reasons for young men to drop out of higher education during wartime? I mean, to join the military. Yeah, no, exactly. And he feels like he's not being useful and not doing enough. And He's already the commander-in-chief's son. Yeah. And he's at Harvard while other young men are off dying. So he goes to find Daddy, who is downstairs with Preston Blair, who has returned from Richmond to tell Lincoln that there are Confederate peace commissioners who will be on their way soon. I know this is unwelcome news for you. Now hear me. I went to Richmond to talk to traitors, to smile at and plead with traitors, because it'll be spring in two months. The roads will be passable. The spring slaughter commences. Four bloody springs now. And that's when Bob, that's when Robbie bursts in, and he's like, not now. Oh, hi, Robbie. (laughs) Oh, hello, Bob. Welcome home. (laughs) How's it going? Not great, Bob. (laughs) Yeah. The way he just dismisses him and Bob is not happy about it. Yeah. So BSL is going over lame duck Democrats and whip count prospects, right? Like, all the ways they're courting Democratic support. When they're, the way Seward has paid for them to be shut up in this attic room (laughs) so they can do their investigating and work there so that no one will know what they're doing. Catching the congressman at the bank. They (laughs) shove him over and start putting the petition with all his bills back in his hand. Shoving, shoving the petition underneath congressman's noses while they're trying to eat. Trying any way they can to get in with the lame duck Democrats. And I swear all of these men all of the hairstyles <laughs> there's so are, much beard or the one hairstyle i should say i wrote ah oh, the 1860s the 1970s of the 19th century <laughs> all the mutton chops and mustaches it, it was the fashion like would you like to join my band mutton chops and mustaches <laughs> through this first bout of whipping we get seven democrats to agree to vote yes on the amendment and there's 13 more that they still need right right Like, they're getting jobs, so that's something. Especially Clay Hawkins. Clay Hawkins, of Ohio. It's a tax collector for the Western Reserve. It it, it pays handsomely. Don't just reach for the highest branches. They sway in every breeze. Assistant Port Inspector Malston looks like the ticket to me. Uh, Votes, they, they make me sick. So just stand on the dock. Let the assistant assistant Port Inspector stomach go weak. Oh, not Postmaster Hawkins. Yeah, he's going to get the job of Postmaster in Ohio, federal Postmaster, <laughs> in exchange for his yes vote. I can't, I can't look at him on screen, Ron. Mom, tell me not to. I did it anyway, misbehaving. <laughs> I can't. Eyes on the windowsill, swimming in the creek, catching crawdads and playing with a stick. Our <laughs> lipstick. I got caught shaving. Just two little country kids outside misbehaving. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. We're sorry about that. If you know, you know. (laughs) Lincoln and Seward are discussing BSL's progress. You know, everyone goes out of the room and Seward goes, I've heard a fantastical rumor from my associates in the house. Oh, it's time for another classic Seward hissy fit. He's like, that you have invited traitorous peace commissioners to talk with you about negotiating a peace. He's so butthurt. Why wasn't I consulted? I'm secretary of state. You, you, you informally send a reactionary daughter to... What will happen, do you imagine, when these peace commissioners arrive? We'll hear them out. Oh, splendid. And next, Democrats will invite them up to hearings on the Hill. 
And the newspapers all the time. The newspapers. <laughs> He's so mad. We are having a full hissy fit. <laughs> what do you imagine will happen when they get here? We'll hear them out. Oh, splendid. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh he's like, God. oh, we'll hear them out, will we? <laughs> oh, you know who's going to get wind of this? The media. <laughs> Not the media. <laughs> and what will the newspapers write about you? You worked so hard, Abe. You worked so hard to get where you're at, and now you're going to let it all slip through your hands. Seward tells Lincoln, you can have the 13th Amendment or a Confederate piece. You cannot have both. <laughs> yep. And Lincoln's like, but if I don't show the conservatives that I'm trying for peace, they're not going to vote for an amendment anyway. And Seward's like, we're so fucked so far into a corner that we'll never <laughs> see the light of again. Like, It's either the amendment or this Confederate piece. You cannot have both. If you can look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, Speak then to me. A disaster. This is disaster. Time is a great thickener of things, Philip. Yes, I suppose it is. Actually, I have no idea what you mean by that. (laughs) That's you and me. (laughs) I'm just saying things, and you're like, what? (laughs) And then we see that little tidbit where the Confederate commissioners are boarding the River Queen. Hey, Queen! Yeah, hey, Queen! (laughs) Yeah, and then we see, you know... Robbie, of course, very much wants to join the army and not focus on British mercantile law. (laughs) And he thinks it's pointless and he feels useless and that he might not even want to be a lawyer. And he wants to be useful now and not later. And Lincoln is kind of ignoring him because he knows his wife will kill him if he lets Robbie join the army. Because now it's time to deal with what, Ross? Mrs. Lincoln's hurting head. Uh, Also, we've seen pictures of the White House residents. Yeah. It's all white and gold painted with the yellow trim and everything. White House wasn't so bright back in these days. No, but on the other hand, it was like newly renovated. This great little scene where Lincoln goes to find Mary and she's sitting in Willie's old bedroom and she's got this photograph of him in her hands and she just quite literally never got over her grief for Willie. He was not very old. Yeah, he was a young boy when he died. And he either died of tuberculosis or, you know, it was always kind of a mystery what her children passed from. Because I feel like it was typhoid in the movie. Yeah, they say typhus. I'm not sure. Like, she's very depressed. You know, they didn't have the language for depression back then. Yeah, no. It They called it melancholy is what they called it. Yeah. And, you know, she just, she's just, she's She all... can't cope. He was a very sick little boy. We should have canceled that reception, shouldn't we? We didn't know how sick he was, Molly. I knew. I knew. I saw that night he was dying. Three years ago, the war was going so badly, and we had to put on a face. But I saw what was dying. Mary Todd Lincoln always felt that the death she experienced throughout her life was somehow punishment, God's punishment, for her and Abraham's ambitious lives. Oh, please. She thought God was punishing them for rising way too far above their station. 
because they're from the heartland, right? They're nobodies as far as American politics were concerned until they were somebody. And now they're facing four more years <laughs> in the White House. Oh, man. They would not, but we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Sorry. It's, no spoilers. It's just that moment where she is like sobbing and he just, he kind of shakes her. He takes her by the hand. He clasps her hand in his and goes, it's too hard. As if to say, I can't deal with this. You're going to have to figure out some way to manage this because we have to greet people in less than an hour. And I love this cut of her tearily staring at him as he goes in front of the camera, cut to her laughing in the receiving line (laughs) for the big shindy, right? Oh, the receiving line scene. Yeah, I know. I, I love that cut so much. Like, you know, Mary Todd Lincoln is meeting with is meeting up the radical Republicans in the receiving line, right? That is Stevens, Charles Sumner, the one that was beat almost half to death with a cane on I the was, floor of the Senate. I was wondering if that was the same Sumner. Yeah, it is. Uh... You know, Thaddeus Stevens, he's the chairman of the House of Representatives Ways and Means Committee. And Ways and Means does all of the accounting for the U.S. government, which would include the White House. And who runs the White House? Mary Todd Lincoln. And he's got to bug up his ass about Mary Todd Lincoln because she obviously spent a lot of money to completely renovate the White House, right? Yeah. The past is the past. It's New Year now. And we are all getting along, so they tell me. I gather we are working together. The White House and the other house hatching little plans together. What? You're creating a bottle. Oh. I love the shot of everyone held up in the receiving line, just watching her dress Stevens down. (laughs) She's making a scene. (laughs) How the people love my husband. They flock to see him by their thousands on public days. They will never love you the way they love him. How difficult it must be for you to know that. And yet how important to remember it. Five minutes later, we're in the basement. Not this. <laughs> Lincoln and Stevens are meeting in secret in I, the basement. I cannot hang with this frustrating conversation about reconstruction. Yeah, Stevens is like, listen, <clears throat> I'm going to say what I'm going to say in this floor debate. And you're probably going to have to be okay with it. And Lincoln's like, listen, buddy. I identify with you. I do. But maybe you could temper, you know, the discourse you're going to bring to the debate. You know, just like keep my conservative friends happy, you know. It's very, sit down, John. Sit down, John. It is. Ashley insists you're ensuring approval by dispensing patronage to otherwise undeserving Democrats. I can't ensure a single damn thing if you scare the whole house silly with talk of land appropriations and revolutionary tribunals. When the war ends, I intend to push for full equality, the Negro vote, and much more. Stevens wants full civil equality yeah. for African-Americans. Not wants, just before the law, like he, in society. He is also coming for, but by the way, I'm with Stevens on this. Oh, yeah. On his view of reconstruction. Stevens is coming for retribution mm-hmm. in the American South and accountability for the traitors. He says, we're going to seize every inch of their land and property and their money, and we're going to give it to African-Americans. Hell yeah. To reconstruct the South. And Lincoln says, well, that's the untempered version of reconstruction. And I don't really see that happening. It's not what I have in mind. 
<laughs> I love this line. Now we're working together, and I'm asking you. For patience, I expect. Well, when the people disagree, bringing them together requires going slow till they're ready to make up the That's shit on the people what they want and what they're ready for. I don't give a goddamn about the people and what they want. This is the face of someone who has fought long and hard for the good of the people without caring much for any of them. Now I look a lot worse without my wig. The people elected me to represent them, to lead them, and I lead. You ought to try it. I'm with him! And I'm like, yeah, I am also with him. The people elected me to represent them, to lead them. You ought to try it. Oh! <laughs> he says to Lincoln, like... Big brass balls on Thaddeus. And then Lincoln's like, I hate this. I hate this rebuttal. He's like, Stevens, if I'd gone along with what you'd said from the beginning, there'd be slavery in South America right now. Okay. You would you would have boiled everything over with your radical passions, and I would not... We would be nowhere close to winning this war. And Stevens is like, again, piss on you and what you think. Like, people are people, and that's just the rub of it, Abe. Like, uh, he's got so much more in this than Abe does, though. You know what I'm saying? He even tries to make the point to Lincoln, whiteness will become more and more of a thing if we do not address this the way I would like to address it. You know, and uh, it, the more we tolerate the atrocity of slavery, the more whiteness will become the only factor oh, no, in yeah. civil life. We have co- we coddle those white feelings too much, and then, you know, you give them an inch and they take a mile. And so that night when they're undressing after the party, Lincoln tells Mary that Robbie's probably going to ask to enlist. Oh, not this. Robert's going to plead with us to let him enlist. Take time to talk to Robbie. You only have time for Tad. Oh, Tad's young. So's Robert. Too young for the army. There's plenty of boys younger than Robert signing up. Don't take Robbie. Don't let me lose my son. And in the middle of this conversation, Mr. Nicolay shows up to tell Lincoln that the assault on Wilmington Port has begun. Oh, this is bad. We go. I wrote the water department. We go to the war department, (laughs) not the water department. And Stanton is going nuts, waiting for telegraphs and reports and whatnot of the battle, which also, this is the first war where you could get instant information like that. (laughs) Just telegraph to you from thousands of miles away. You (laughs) You get a cable from thousands of miles away. In the middle of his sentence, guess who the fuck else is here? (laughs) Come on out, you old rat! That's what, that's what Ethan Allen called out to the commander of Fort Ticonderoga in 1776. Come on out, you old rat. Uh, of course, there are only 40-odd red coats at Ticonderoga, but, but there is one Ethan Allen story that I'm no. very partial to. No, you're, you're going to tell a story. I don't believe that I can bear to listen to another one of your stories right now. <laughs> he's, he's stumbling away. And Guys, that's me this whole episode. Hey! Not at you! Oh. Oh, you were about hey. to take that so personally. Uh-oh. A little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. I'm just, I'm talking about Lincoln, and you were about to take that super seriously and personally. I'm sorry. I admit it. <laughs> yeah, and then Lincoln tells this fucking George Washington story, right? No, or... it's an Ethan Allen story. Whatever. Ethan Allen goes to the home of a prominent English lord in the United Kingdom. The English thought it would be really funny to stick a portrait of George Washington in the water closet. (laughs) 
you know where the toilet is. The privy. <laughs> I love that. Privy. I learned that word in Girl Scouts. Because <laughs> that's what we called it instead of, you know, an outhouse. <laughs> the privy. And, you know, when Ethan Allen emerges after doing his business. <laughs> he did what he came to do. <laughs> and he comes back out and the, the Lord is like, hey, did you like the picture of George Washington in the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> What did he think of its placement? Did it seem appropriately located to Mr. Allen? Mr. Allen said it did. His host was astounded. Appropriate? George Washington's likeness in a water closet? Yes, said Mr. Allen, where it'll do good service. The whole world knows nothing to make an Englishman shit quicker than the sight of George Washington. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone laughs at Lincoln telling the story, and it's so funny. Oh, my God. How many minutes of screen time could we save without these stories? I know. We are Stanton in this moment. (laughs) I can't listen to you tell another story. The the news comes in that the Union Army takes Fort Fisher, but that the town of Wilmington doesn't surrender. Mm. And so this is only going to get worse. And the newspaper is full of the dead from the Wilmington campaign, and it's just death all the time now. And the Democrats, the really racist anti-slavery amendment Democrats, are, you know, Pendleton and Wood, and they're actually like to one another, they're like, listen, the Republicans are busy. And we're just sitting around waiting for the war to take down Lincoln. You know, we need to start being proactive. We need to start getting some of these Democrats back. Before this blood is dry, when Stevens next takes the floor, taunt him. You excel at that. Get him to proclaim what we all know he believes in his cold-colored heart. That this vote is meant to set the black race on high, to niggerate America. George, please, stay on course. Bring Stevens to full froth. I can ensure that every newspaperman from Louisville to San Francisco will be here to witness it and print it. Pendleton wants uh, Wood to bring Stevens to full froth so that he'll boil over so they can, you know, they can point at him and go, he's just crazy and radical. You mean during this debate, right? Yeah, when the debate starts to happen. He's literally asking Wood to antagonize Thaddeus to the point where he just looks crazy in front of the media. Yeah, in front of every newspaper from Louisville to San Francisco. Like, they will be there to witness it and print it and about how hysterical and radical the Republicans are. So then we have George Yeaman of Ohio, right? He gets up on the floor for, for debate right and stands up to talk about how he truly hates slavery but that black men are not ready for full enfranchisement yet and there's no immediate solution to the problem and i'm like do your thighs get chafed riding the fence like that yeman we must consider what will become of colored folk if four million are in one instant set free they'll be free george that's what will become of them think how splendid if Mr. Yeaman switched. And this is when BSL is really setting their sights on Yeaman, and they're like, he's so flippable. We can taste it. He's so flippable. And then the Democrats close back in on Clay Hawkins, right? Walt- yeah. Walter Goggins. Yeah, I guy- love how close the two names are. <laughs> and when he walks into the room with Pendleton and Wood, and they're like, oh, hello, Mr. Postmaster General. <laughs> Uh-oh. We heard about your disgusting betrayal. Want to go ahead and vote no on that amendment? Mr. LeClerc felt honor-bound to inform us of your disgusting betrayal. Your prostitution. Is that true, Postmaster Hawkins? Is your maidenly virtue for sale? 
And so they've got Hawkins back in their class. Yeah, Postmaster Hawkins switches sides again. And Seward doesn't always like BSL's tactics, regardless of the fact that he was the one that hired them. Yeah, I know. And is paying them to do this. The way that... Also... The way that Indiana Democrat almost kills Bilbo? <laughs> yeah. With a <the> pistol? <laughs> when he forgets his ledger and has to go back to get it, but he's loading the pistol? You son of a bitch, he's throwing leaves at him. <laughs> Perhaps you push too hard. I push nobody. Perhaps we need reinforcements. If Jeff Davis wants to see how still it is, who do you think will give a genuine, solid shit to free slaves? Get back to it. Jared Harris is here. Ulysses S. fucking Grant. We've already talked about it. It's bad. (laughs) The accent is not there. You know, he's with the peace commissioners on board the River Queen, right? Uh Uh-huh. And he's like, listen, I've read your proposal for peace. You're going to need to amend some things if you want to talk to President Lincoln about it. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? This was a done deal. Mr. Blair, he he told us, he you know, he told President Jefferson Davis that we were... A private citizen like Preston Blair can say what he pleases since he has no authority over anything. If you want to discuss peace with President Lincoln, consider revisions. If we're not to discuss the truce between warring nations, what in heaven's name can we discuss? Terms of surrender. Do you guys hear it? Do you guys hear him struggling with the R's? <laughs> it's <laughs> way, really bad. The way those R's come out so pronounced. Uh, the commissioners are like, this is not what Preston Blair told us. And Grant's like, I don't give a fuck what Preston Blair told you. He's a <laughs> regular ass citizen. I'm the lieutenant commanding general of the army. Like, <laughs> He does not speak for Lincoln. I do. Office, United States Military, Telegraph, War Department, for Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, January 20th, 1865. I will state confidentially that I am convinced upon conversation with these commissioners that their intentions are good and their desire sincere to restore peace and union. I fear now they're going back without any expression of interest from anyone in authority. Mr. Lincoln will have a bad influence. I will be sorry should it prove impossible for you to have an interview with them. Grant believes the war can be ended, like, now. Yep. And Lincoln really trusts Grant. Why, I don't know. He's a drunk from Illinois. (laughs) Who got lucky raising through the ranks, just saying. And, like, when he's talking to Seward about how much trust he has in Grant, Seward has on... This night coat <laughs> that is yellow and frilly and covered in floral arrangements. And I'm like, yes, queen! Midnight meeting with the president. Let's go. <laughs> no. Like, you know, Lincoln's up till like four in the morning that night. He bothers Nicolay and Hay. They're trying to sleep. Like, Hay wakes up with the president of the United States sitting in his bed doing paperwork. Yeah, talking about should I, you know, should I execute any more of these young boys that are wanted for, you know, desertion? Like, oh my God. Don't let him pardon any more deserters, <laughs> says Nicolay. And Lincoln's like, why add one more body to the count? You know, I'm letting these boys go. And <laughs> Hayes, like, okay, whatever. Like, <laughs> Can I go back to sleep it's now? It's four in the morning. Like, Grant wants me to bring the Secesh delegates to Washington. So there are Secesh delegates. He was afraid that's all it was. 
I don't care to hang a boy for being frightened either. What good would it do? This is kind of like when John didn't want to sign the Alien and Sedition Acts. He's yeah. holding onto the bedpost like, <laughs> gritting his teeth. Abraham Lincoln does not want to tell these commissioners they can go ahead and come on to Washington. Like, because if people get wind of the fact that there might be peace talks, the 13th Amendment is dead. Yeah, there's no incentive for them to support that amendment. Which, do better, Americans. Like, yeah. I, I'm sorry. Like, 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 like we always say, all war is a blight. I'm sure it was horrific. But guys... We're talking about the ownership of human beings. It's literally so not hard to just not own people. Like, <sighs> this is where Lincoln actually confirms to Hay, because Nicolay went back to sleep. He actually confirms to Hay that there are actual commissioners and that they're like on their way. <laughs> They're on their way they're, to talk peace. They're in Virginia awaiting instructions to be brought forth. And Hay's like, Really? <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. And Lincoln's like, all right, I'm going to think about this some more. It's the way Hay goes. Do you need company? In times like this, I'm best alone. Then why the fuck did you wake them up, babe? <laughs> it's four in the goddamn morning. <laughs> it's 4.03 and I can't sleep. <laughs> all right, guys, let's wrap this up. Lincoln is in the telegraph office at the War Department, and we have telegraph operator Samuel Adam Driver Beckwith. <laughs> yeah. He's just sitting there waiting for Lincoln to dictate him his telegraph message, right? To reply to Grant. He opens his little piece of paper and dictates, I've read your words with interest. I ask that regardless of any action I take in the matter of the visit of the Richmond commissioners... You maintain among your troops military preparedness for battle, as you have done until now. Let Captain Saunders convey the commissioners to me here in Washington. A. Lincoln and the date. Yes, sir. Adam Driver gets it all written out. Here's my question. Why didn't he just give him that piece of paper? Why does Adam Driver then have to write it all down again? Because that's the way... The Leave the movie alone. <laughs> okay. And Adam Driver gets it all written down and goes, shall I transmit, sir? Silence. <laughs> Crickets. And you guessed it. He doesn't answer him. He just says with another question. I think we choose to be born. I don't suppose so. Or we fit it to the times we're born into. Well, I don't know about myself. You may be. Sir, fitted. He asks the other guy the same question sitting there. The engineer says this great thing. He's like, I reckon that there's machinery, but no one's really done the fitting. Okay. Isn't that so apt, though? I, I mean, I guess. Like, all the building blocks are there for them. They just haven't put them in the right place. I mean, I get, I'm sorry. I just, I can't look at this from a, you know, in historical context. It's just so much of this is so simple for me and it's really easy for me to say that. And I just, every time someone says something really flowery about the state of affairs, I'm like, well, that's all well and good, but it doesn't free people from bondage. Well, in the context of the line, it's really good, right? Yep. Oh my God. 
I responded. She's becoming unengaged, everybody. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, he says to the engineer, you know, you're an engineer. You must be familiar with Euclid's axioms of common notions. <laughs> and I wrote, oh, no, now we're going to bring math into it. And Lincoln's like, I once read Euclid for fun. <laughs> and <laughs> That's the thing you did back then. Once learned, it stayed learned. But Euclid's first common notion is that things that are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. Euclid says this is self-evident. You see, there it is. Even in that 2,000-year-old book of mechanical law, it is a self-evident truth that things which are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. We begin with equality. That's the origin, isn't it? That balance, that's, that's fairness. That's justice. Adam Driver looks like he's about to throw up at the end of that monologue. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Just the shot of it. It's not flattering. It's, like, it's not. Uh, and then, guys, Lincoln, Lincoln changes his mind. He does. At the last second. Slight admendation, if you would, Sam. Have Captain Saunders convey the gentleman aboard the River Queen as far as Hampton Roads, Virginia, and their wait until further advice from me. Do not proceed to Washington. He folds up his paper, grabs his hat off the floor, adorns it, and he just saunters his way out of the War Department with those great John Williams trumpets. So wait a minute, I'm confused about what just happened. He told them to bring the commissioners. In the telegraph. In the first telegraph, but then he had Sam fix it and said, never mind, don't bring them all the way. I still want to play around with the 13th Amendment. So he's basically holding them hostage. Yeah, no, he's totally <laughs> holding the Confederate commissioners hostage so that he can get this 13th Amendment through and then meet with them and make them surrender. Because they're in the custody of the Union Army. They are. It's not like they can just leave <laughs> they, that riverboat. They can't just, they're on a boat. They can't just go anywhere. <laughs> I hope they can swim, like, if, if that's how they want to leave. But, guys, that's going to be our end of part one there for you. Carrie Ann is ready to punch me in the face, so we got to get out of here. That's not that bad. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Carrie Ann's going to be so excited about her little post-show treat we're going to have here in a little bit. Uh... <laughs> but, yeah, guys, that is the end of our first part of the coverage of Spielberg's Lincoln. We're going to have a lively debate next week. Uh, not you and me. We're going to watch a lively debate. Yeah, no. Because <laughs> you and I have no quibbles about anything that's trying to be accomplished here. Absolutely not. We know what side our bread is buttered on, and it's on the Thaddeus Stevens side. Yeah. Teeth, 
everybody. Yeah, that's another thing. Well, that was a couple weeks ago. It's going to be Juneteenth in a couple days, because that's when we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're recording it now, which is almost Juneteenth. But then also happy 4th of July to everyone who's sane and good and knows the difference between right and wrong. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. But can't wait to have you for part two next week, guys. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little summertime watch party. More quality content coming to you from kicking and streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry everyone we ever oppressed. God. <laughs>